Welcome back to The Indie Idiot. My name is Justin Andrew Davis. I am your chief idiot, your host idiot, your idiot auteur, whatever you'd like to call me. Uh, today I have with me Mr. George Miata, uh, a good friend and uh, sound guy of all sorts who I've worked with on several short films at this point. Um, we're going to be getting into the nitty gritty of post-production, production, all of that kind of good stuff, all with concerns to uh, to audio and uh, all the nooks and crannies. So here's a quick introduction to Mr. Miata. George Miata is a mixing engineer, music composer, and sound designer based in Brooklyn, New York. He founded, owns, and operates By George Audio a professional music and audio post-production company that served the tri-state area and beyond since 2012. He works full-time mixing for a financial media company, but his freelance work has included notable clientele such as Netflix, Disney, Nike, BBC Studios America, and Vice. George also mixed and foleyed my first two short films, You Look Great and Powerful Stuff, respectively. Welcome, George. Uh, Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, for everyone's reference, this is actually uh, take two of this interview. We had some <laughs> technical, <laughs> technical difficulties. Things. Yeah. Um, with Zoom, Zoom had a little recording issue. This is, uh, this is actually uh, my first uh, online interview, virtual interview. And so I guess that's pretty telling. Um, but we figured everything out. So this will be great. Uh, George will actually mix this down for me because he's such a nice guy and so if it sounds better or different in any way it is because a professional had his hands on it um so yeah welcome george how are you doing i'm doing great man how are you doing all right i'm doing all right um yeah so just to to, to dive right in um the indie idiot uh if you aren't aware is just sort of about People who are diving into the game and don't know much of anything, uh, or people who are who have been in the game and still don't know much of anything, like myself. Uh, I came from a background of not studying film, you know, not studying uh, production, you know, not even studying acting uh, back in the day. All this stuff I sort of found in in various ways along the years, um, and so. You know, in previous episodes, we've touched upon uh, we've touched upon budgeting, we've touched upon uh, like pre-production for your first short film. We've touched upon shot listing, and this will be the first time that we're we're talking about audio, which is uh, a huge part of the filmmaking process. Uh, although most times, if it's good, you won't even notice it. Oh yeah, that's what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if, if people are really pointing out your sound design, then usually uh, you did something wrong. <laughs> it's either that, or it's just like actually bonkers amazing. But yeah, you kind of generally want to, I think, fade into the uh, the the shadows a little bit anyway. Yeah, yeah. Let them let them really sink into the story. You know, exactly. Be part of the film. So you you actually you didn't actually start in in films as you've told me, right? Yeah, yeah. I started in music. I, after graduating with a business degree, I just hated my first job after work. Went to a SAE school in, in Manhattan, and they just kind of teach you like a bit of everything on the audio spectrum of just any all the kind of jobs you can do. And so from there, I did a bunch of like, um, you know, recording studio jobs and uh, internships at a lot of places, and then slowly worked my way around, uh, just kind of discovering things that I didn't like, things that I did like, which led me to a studio called Nylon Studios. And I started freelancing there as a, um, as a jingle writer, which was awesome. I didn't think that that was a real profession. <laughs> you you should uh you should send me some of them. I'd be very curious to hear them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Some, <laughs> some of them are on my website. I'll, I'll send it on over. Dope. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was fun. And I still do it from time to time, but, uh, I've mainly gotten into mixing. I forget who the first person to send me, uh, a mixing gig was that wasn't music. And they were like, Hey, do you mix films? I was like, uh, you know, I'm not going to say no, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mixing music, I guess I can give it a shot. And then just, I loved it and just kind of took off from there. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, kind of fake it till you make it and just sort of 
just do the thing. I mean, that's kind of like the whole, the whole thesis of this podcast. So it's kind of great to know that because, you know, I've only known you as, you know, a consummate professional. So it's really, it's really funny to know that you just like were handed an opportunity and you're just, you know, you just confidently take it and see what the (laughs) fuck happens. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things about the gig is that, you know, I try and tell people, you know, who are starting out, it's like, just take whatever, man, you know, especially a lot of the times those first gigs don't pay much. So it's not like there's a ton of pressure on the line, you know, most of the times it's with first time filmmakers too. So it's like, you're kind of learning as you go and you need that experience in order to, to, you know, keep growing as a, as a mixer, sound designer, composer, really anything. So what is, uh, what is your experience with film at this point? Like what, uh, I mean, so, uh, in your, in your bio, we got some sort of, uh, I guess what looks to be like commercial work or, or, or some maybe like journalistic work. Um, what have you done specifically with like narrative? Yeah, I would say it's kind of spanned the gamut from like commercial stuff, broadcast to, you know, web videos, short films, feature films. I haven't done anything like Dolby quality. You know, you need like a, a legit Dolby studio. They have to spec it out and it has to be a certified Dolby theater, which it's coming. It's coming. I aspire to do it one day because you got to really rent out the stage. If you ever see those mixing stages, they're basically theaters and you're in there. Just, so uh, I just, yeah, very quickly. Cause that's, I mean, that's like, I guess like way, way down the road stuff for like indie filmmakers, but I mean, that's uh so like what a production house owns that. And then people just, it's kind of like a, like a music studio. You kind of get rented out. Is it like that? Yeah. I think it can be anywhere from somebody contacting that studio, uh, trying to get, you know, their thing mixed or whatever, or it could be, uh, an engineer who got hired by a job, you know, a private thing, and then just kind of renting out that space in order to do it. So I think, I think it goes both ways, but I, again, haven't been there, so I couldn't tell you from experience, but I've, I've heard, I know people that work in studios like that. Which is all just to say, you don't need a big budget studio in order to get started doing audio work. Cause yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, you know, you, you mixed my first two films and they sound, uh, I mean, they sound beautiful um, and there's so much nuanced work and, and stuff that I would have never even thought of. Um, and it's really interesting how uh, from what you capture on set to handing it off to, you know, uh, a mixer and editor and stuff, how, I mean, it's light and day in terms of the quality, um, which is just fascinating to me because on set, you know, people are using or, you know, I've worked with people using, you know, fairly legitimate gear. And it's still so fascinating that even the the level that this gear is at, whether it's the boom or the lavalier mics, which are wireless mics, they can only capture or so much quality. It's like, it's crazy that it's like, that is only the beginning of where it goes. Yeah, totally. And you really want to you know, capture as much sound as you can while you're filming and not leave everything to post. But, you know, there's only so much that you can do. And, and what, like we discussed before, like we've run into and some of uh, stuff that we've worked on together is that, you know, sometimes the door that's in there just doesn't sound right, even though, you know, you can record it all you want, but if it doesn't have the oomph in there, you're going to need like a little bit of extra in uh, in post and the sound designer can give it that that beef, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that's something I, before I was working in film and I'm, I'm sure like most audiences who aren't in the industry don't realize that a lot of things that we are watching that make noise, whether it's like a door, like you said, um, footsteps on tile, footsteps on gravel, um, you know, a cup being placed on a table, uh, it could be that that is the audio that was captured, but more likely than not to have a bigger or more cinematic feel or something very specific, it will be altered or, or even added. So that's, that's, that's what's called foleying. Um, And so it's just really interesting that all of this stuff that you just kind of, you know, accept as the world, like, Oh, you know, they went, they went uh, uh, on location, they had sounds, they recorded it. That's what we're hearing. And that's, a lot of times not the case. Yeah, totally. And it, it's all in the sound design family, the Foley portion of it. Uh, you know, you'll have your Foley pits, which are like a square portion of a studio. 
and you'll have, you know, sand in one box and grass in another or gravel in another, just to kind of replicate, you know, footprints and different scenes and atmospheres and, and different terrains and stuff like that. So you can get it close to what you're looking at as possible. And they have studios with all these different objects and stuff that you can, you know, play around with and stuff. Not so much in New York, more in LA. Sure. Sure. Those big studios, but um, yeah, you can play around with it as much as you want. It's just so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, like I said, constantly in disbelief because like, like I said before, if, if the sound is done well, um, you don't even notice it. Like I just take, I, I just accept like, Oh, the horse, galloping across this field like oh that's how the hooves and the horse and all that sound or that's how the guy's armor sounds and probably a lot of it has been added or emphasized um so it's just there's a lot of like hidden work you know like like uh, wizard of oz kind of shit that's just (laughs) i think it's really i mean there's so much that goes into filmmaking but the audio part is just it's 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 bonkers i mean you can go anywhere with it and the one thing that i've kind of consistently have noticed is that I think people will maybe forgive, you know, forgive, um, air sort quotes. of, you gotta uh, let them know that you're air. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm air quoting <laughs> forgive, um, video that's not necessarily the highest quality or maybe the focus is soft or, or maybe it's handheld and it's, it looks jumbly. I think people are much more ready to accept that as like an artistic choice or like, ah, oh, that's fine. Whereas if there's bad audio, people are like, what the fuck? Oh, like, yeah. like they will check out immediately. Unforgivable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which especially puts a lot with, of pressure on you. Puts a lot yeah. Of yeah. Especially with distortion. That's always the, the biggest thing when things get handed to me, it's like, ah, oh, man, if only you had someone kind of listening in and just monitoring and making sure that you weren't clipping. Cause I can raise the audio to a higher level that, you know, is audible and I can clean it up. But once you hit that clipping threshold, there's really not much coming back from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of a good segue as to like, so what are the most common issues you find when a uh, like a narrative, whether it's a feature or a short, whenever that's handed off to you? Yeah, I would say not miking properly or not having enough mics for each person that are talking. You know, sometimes you'll have people far away from a mic that are having a line and it's just like you can barely hear them and you try and turn it up as much as possible but you really want it to match the scene so it makes it very difficult um monitoring is number one by far just got to make sure that everything's at a decent level and then not going over you know and it's tough to do sometimes if you don't have huge budget but whoever is listening you just have or the director just have have those headphones on and just listen if you feel like someone screamed and just like oh, that's a great take, but maybe they went a little over. I'll just go back and check it, do a couple more, bring the mic a little further away and just make sure that you have it at a reasonable level. So I, uh, if at all possible, I mean, you know, on bigger productions, I'm sure this is, you know, goes without question, but on, on smaller stuff, you would still say, try your best to have individual mics for each actor. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the boom is great because it can cover you know, two people having a conversation in the middle, if you're short on those kind of mics, but try and have enough lobs for the people that have dialogue in the film. And also making sure that the room is at a decent level of, of quiet, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. unplug the fridge if you have to, uh, if you're renting a space, I know a good, uh, what I heard from some, some producers is that a good trick is to put your keys in the fridge after you've unplugged it. That way you can remember to plug it back in before you leave. <laughs> that's that's wow that's, look at that that's some yeah industry secrets that's yeah funny. taking that's super room funny. tone yeah all that stuff is is good to uh it's good to have to give the mixer yeah 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 that's that you raise some good i guess practical and environmental questions um yeah so i mean there's definitely stuff that i've given you where on location uh it was either missed or like explicitly said we can't turn something off. And I, I think, um, in, in powerful stuff, my most recent short film, uh, it was in the summer and it was like, you know, really shitty hot New York summer. And so, you know, the the space is air conditioned and if the space wasn't air conditioned, I mean, everybody's sweating. Yeah. Everyone would be real (laughs) upset too. So, I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, it's pick your poison, but you know, if you've got AC running or if it's, you know, you're in a kitchen and there's a fridge running or, or you're in a bar and, and the fridge has to stay on. Um, 
Yeah. So what 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 happens then? I would say with some of like like AC sounds and things that have a general hum to them, sometimes it's pretty easy to get out because it's uniform and consistent. So I have a lot of tools and plugins. I like to use the uh, the Isotope RX suite, and there's one called like uh, Vocal Denoise and Dialog Isolate, and that takes away um, air conditioning sound really well or any kind of hum or kind of an ambience you don't want. You can take it out completely. You can lower it a little bit to uh, whatever you think fits the scene. Some of the other stuff that's more difficult to take out are um, people's voices if there's a lot of chatter in the background because mm. you know the plugin is looking for the frequencies to take out and if it's the same as, as your voices, then it's difficult to take out. And other, I don't know, sometimes clicks and pops can be easily taken out, but there's a lot of different things that you just have to make sure uh, that aren't going on, you know, while you're filming or while you're recording. I know right. that- in, in powerful stuff like there was that beeping in uh what was it in the lobby area yeah what was uh was that the elevator or it was something else? i don't I even think know it was what like it was. A, it was like the back like a truck backing up outside or was it maybe it was like a battery dying it was something like that but see like yeah a battery dying like a, a chirp sometimes can be very easy to get out all you have to do is find that frequency and then just eliminate it mm-hmm. you find the frequency on the eq spectrum you notch it out and then, you know, that one sound is gone, which is nice. But if that sound uh, has a wider frequency span, then it's more difficult to get out without compromising your audio. So it's, it's little things like that. And based so, on I mean, the skill of the engineer. It, so if you, like, if you can't unplug the fridge or if you can't turn the AC off, it's not like, it's not disastrous. Like you can still... You should still film and you can still make it better, right? Yeah, it could be salvaged. Like you said, AC on a hot summer day, either everybody's going to be sweating and it ruins the take or just everybody's unhappy and it ruins the take. You know, you have to pick your battles, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So I I guess what would... um, So they've done the best they could. They've recorded the short and it's about to get handed off to you. So what's the process uh, of getting uh, getting the project, I guess, just getting the project period and then actually starting the project? Yeah, once you've kind of agreed on the rate and terms with the engineer, or in my case, with the director or producer, uh, I like to just have a phone call with them. You know, tell me a little bit about what the story is about, what you're hoping to get out of it, um, you know, where it's going to be living, you know, a lot of times in commercials, you don't know, well, on, on commercial work, you know, you don't know if it's going to be broadcast or web video only, but for narrative stuff and for short films, um, just kind of like the, the tone of it all. Tell me a little bit of how you made it and what's special about it. That way I can like have more of a emotional attachment to it. Cause you're just, you know, you're part of the team now and it's a cool thing to be part of a project that is someone else's passion project. And then I like it when they give me some notes about things that they've noticed. So before uh, you do a pass, they it, you advise them through their own work in the edit to be like, oh, I noticed we 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 missed this line or this door needs to be uh, added, like stuff like that, or this yeah. is fuzzy. Yeah, nine out of time, nine out of ten times, I'll, I'll catch it and you know fix it up anyway. But just to it's a big time saver, even if they can tell me how they want me to augment something, you know, it's like, oh, this isn't the right sound, but this is the sound that I would like. That way I don't spend, you know, a ton of time looking for, you know, to me what I like for that, that part. And then for them to be like, oh, actually I was thinking more about this when, you know, you could have just told me that in the first place. Right, right, (laughs) right. I I needed, uh, like in, in powerful stuff in the lobby scene, um, the uh the actress I, I i play opposite of sarah seeds uh her character exits and kind of exits in a bit of a huff uh but you know on set uh due to the constraints of the set and the location and what we had to do with gear and this that, and the other thing there was there was no door for her to exit and slam yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so so i was just like oh we need something there she can't just walk off into the distance i mean she could and it'd be fine but it you know, it's it's small stuff like that where it's like, oh, that'll really 
uh, give a sense of finality and, and, and place to it. And I remember being like, okay, I want it to be like a, a push, a metal push bar door. So I very specifically yeah, looked a very specific for, door in for, mind. Cause you know, it's just like one of those doors that you can, you hear when you push it hard, you can fucking hear it. It's just yeah. like this you know metal exactly on metal what kind of door is being opened when you hear that. For sure. Which is so funny to think about being like, <laughs> Oh, I know that door, but you know, this yeah. is the kind of uh, um, obsessive details you get into, um, which was all just to, to say, like, I made a point of being like, I need a door sound. And rather than, you know, have, have George throw, throw darts at the wall or the board, whatever, I, I, I sent you uh, some options that you could try out. Yeah. And stuff like that helps. To, if you have something really specific in mind, uh, you know, you don't, and you, and you don't need that sound designer's library because, you know, sometimes the sound designer has a big library of things that they've downloaded in the past, or sometimes they belong, they subscribe to something else where, you know, they can easily plug them. But there, there's a ton of free stuff, I think. One of the ones I, I used to use a lot and I still do sometimes. I think it's like freesound.com or something like that. I was gonna say, do you have like like a downloaded folder of door sounds? Uh yeah, yeah, definitely. I, <laughs> it's so funny. I, yeah, I have like a lot of footsteps and various, <laughs> Just... various all kinds of different I I did a project with Nike. It was like athlete celebrities on teaching kids like about working out and like cool activities they can do and stuff like that. It was during the pandemic, so it was like to get people outside and get moving. And I have all of these like crazy like zap zoink boink sounds that you know because it's like <laughs> for kids, and it's have this like two three folders just full of like these crazy cartoon so sounds. And all this stuff taken out of context is just very strange. <laughs> yeah, it is, and it's just always funny because usually when you download something like that, it's not named zoink bonk or whatever it's, it's like it's something else and you have to like oh what's the best name for this it's like i guess it's zoink bonk you know it's like something that whatever i'm gonna remember when i was like oh what was that thing that would have been perfect there you know yeah yeah it's just like, it's, it's a, what a strange job yeah honestly there's a ton of zoink bonks in there <laughs> i hope i hope zoink bonk is the the title of your next Two to- uh, not two tug. I'm sorry. Um, color tongue album. Yeah, yeah. I hope so too. <laughs> <Swing punk. laughs> um, so how much is uh Foley a part of of your process? Because so I, I know. So we have the the you have a conversation uh with the director. You kind of come to the uh, pragmatic terms of like, oh, it's going to cost this much at this at this rate, and and this is what I need you to do. And you kind of get the preliminary notes. So then, you know, you kind of go about the the nuts and bolts of like, all right, I got to raise and level out, you know, dialogue and stuff like that. But, you know, after that sort of like um, housekeeping mm-hmm. is is done. So then like what's what else is there? Like, like what is the Foley process? How much of that is part of your job? Uh, I mean, that's part of the conversation that you'll have with them before. You know, I've done projects where they've had all the sound design in place and had all the music in place and they just wanted me to, to mix it. I've had projects where they needed me to do sound design, both fully and more subjective sound design. I, I had worked on this film where it was like, Oh, we got this monster in mind and he's just got like all these teeth. Like he's got like a bunch of mouths. And so it's like, Oh, what <laughs> okay. would, what would a monster with a bunch of mouths sound like? Like, is it teeth chattering? Is it this and that? So I would say that's, also part of sound design but a little different from the foley which is more universal sound you know you know what this cup is going to sound like if i put it on the desk but you don't necessarily know what what kind of laser this is going to sound coming out of a futuristic gun or something like that right 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 and it's interesting because i think the, the line gets a little blurry um between foley and sound design a little a, a little bit um i mean foley is like like we sort of said is like I guess it is sort of real life sounds that could kind of be there. Like, you know, a, a footstep, a door closing, and then sound design is more because because scoring is also different, but sound design is sort of like um kind of like like tension built. It could be like tension building, kind of like, yeah, like a sting or a hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like would- something like crescendoing kind of like uh um Wongs or or like like a tinnitus kind of ringing like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would still probably put Foley in the sound design category, but 
Yeah, you're right. I don't know if there is a name for that other type. Yeah, because I mean, be. it's 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 because it is sort of more atmospheric. You know, it could kind of be more abstract. I think it, I think those are more abstract kind of sounds that are not happening in the world itself. Whereas yeah. I think Foley is more specifically like, okay, water being poured, like coffee being poured into a cup sounds like this. This liquid sounds like that. Whereas opposed to like, oh, the 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 character in the film is i don't know like tripping balls so we have like i don't know <laughs> yeah, wind yeah. sounds and like yeah their voice is distorted, distorted. Just yeah like going exactly all yeah, yeah yeah and i think that more um people need to be aware that there's a difference because when you're having that conversation about sound design or something like that i think you know the expectation has to be there and for me personally it takes a lot more to to create those other types of sound design, ethereal noises, whatever, because it's so subjective. This could sound great to me and I could have spent hours on it. And then I gave it to the director and he's just like, oh, well, I right, don't know right. if like, that's really the sound that I'm going for this and that. Whereas like, you know, if I turn on the bathtub or shut some doors or anything like it, yeah. it'll sound like that. And so, so yeah, part of the conversation, yeah. Part of the conversation is, um, expectation and because like sound is it's it's such an umbrella term like we said there's all these things we like mixing which is like leveling dialogue and and stuff like that removing buzzing and, and other things and then you have foleying which is adding or emphasizing real world sounds sound design which is sort of like anything that's more abstract ethereal like you know, just not non-traditional sounds and then scoring on top of that, which is, or composing, which is also music. And so I guess one of the things listeners and filmmakers kind of need to be aware of is that uh, having each of these things will therefore expand whatever the cost is. Like, it's just like, you can't just be like, all right, audio man, do everything. And that's it. You know, <laughs> right. It's, it's uh, make it all happen. Which yeah. sometimes happens. You know, just like, all right. I mean, sometimes it, it can be like, all right, within reason, I could do X, Y, and Z, but it, you know, it kind of has to fit into a certain level of parameters, right? And I guess mm -hmm. that just comes with like the first conversation, right? Yeah, it does. It does. It does come in that conversation, and you know, things can always evolve. You know, like with their, with your last film that we worked on, that whole ending scene where we weren't sure if we wanted to put music there. And then we mm. ended up just doing like a ton of dialogue lines and added more to the story and it became its own thing. And it's like, that could have gone so many different ways, but we just kind of kept it open and just had a bunch of conversations about it. And, you know, you never know. I think it's cool to give it some life in that way. You know, that like freedom to, to do what you want, as long as the freedom isn't <laughs> extending the cut, which will let everybody right. know is like, Always keep picture lock. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's do, that's, do that's sort of change, a big thing. Do not change picture lock after the mixing engineer has started mixing because that <laughs> is just a nightmare. Right. You'll you'll have not only wasted uh, your and his time, you will probably also need to spend more money um, uh, because yeah. that, ti that time is, is lost. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, for everybody after, before, rather, you send your your little baby off to George here, uh, make sure it is picture locked. And for people who don't know that term picture lock just means like everything we see on the screen from start to finish is the movie. Like essentially the movie is there. It's just like the whole story is there. Everything we see is there and presumably will not change. And now it is, it is George's job to, um, you know, tinker with all the bells and whistles and people talking and horses, gall uh, you know, galloping and all that kind of stuff. Um, and like you said, if you add scenes, then it just becomes like, all right, well that, or, you know, add shots within a scene. It's like, all right, now his timeline is all messed up. And it just becomes, that becomes hours and hours of work that changes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, first and foremost, picture lock your film. Yeah. Um, I, well, I was going to ask you about, oh, yeah, with regards to sound sound design in um, in Powerful Stuff. So for, for people's reference, the last scene in Powerful Stuff is uh, a film set, actually. 
and you know it's not spoiling anything but that's what it is the the setting is a film set and it was very difficult because i mean i think without and sound design it was it was just an empty theater <laughs> i mean it was well it's like we you know you could just have background chatter but that wouldn't even be enough mm-hmm. and so we had this discussion about like all right well what sounds uh can we hear so none of this stuff uh, that I'm going to describe was actually recorded on set. Um, but the stuff that was added to this scene were like, you know, sounds of like hammering and, and equipment moving, uh, walkie talkie, like beeps and boops um, and, and, and like, you know, distorted audio, like walkie talkie audio. Um, what else do we have? Um, oh, and, and I mean, a, a big part of it too. I mean, there's a ton more stuff that he, uh, George added, but I also had like, you know, something like 10, 12 different people, like ADR uh, lines that, so that it, it felt real and, and, and bigger. So, I mean, you can, you can add sort of like, uh, what is it? Walla Walla? Is that what it's called? Just yeah, Walla. Yeah. <laughs> walla. So Walla Walla is kind of like an industry term for like just you know indeterminate background talking. Yeah, and I think it actually is because if if you did just say Walla in the conversation, like Walla 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 in the background, I think it would be indiscernible. But it'll still sound like people talking. People talking. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what it is. I don't know. It's interesting. Been interesting. It's been a while. Yeah. When when I had done background work, uh, I think they they made a point of being like, "Don't talk. Like just mime, saying shit." So I think they usually they will add in, uh, you know, background people talking in post. So that's usually mm-hmm. very funny. And I'm sure that's a function of like wanting to be able to hear the actors first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that nothing's like impeding on the line or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and all just to say uh, this, the film set scene would feel so empty if it didn't have all of this stuff that we had to sort of like conceptualize, agree on, and then very precisely time out like, okay, okay we hear this here. We hear that there so that it feels kind of like a, consistent like workday flow so it's not like okay wait i just heard that saw 10 seconds ago <laughs> that saw repeated or do you know what i mean yeah, or like yeah. oh that's a lot of walkie talkie or and it turned out so well honestly it really did it, yeah 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 that that took i mean that took a lot of effort like i'm on my <laughs> yeah. on my own like you know i mean having if i had you to do it i mean it would cost a bajillion dollars but like i said <laughs> i i got the the casting crew i scripted out lines and i had them record them on their phone and you know you know, thankfully you're able to take that and morph it in such a way that it just sounds like people who are, you know, within the space, but maybe farther away from the conversations, which are supposed to be focusing on in mm-hmm. the film. Yeah. And you wouldn't have been able to do that if they were doing it in real time. Cause you know, obviously. Exactly. Taken, exactly. So it really gave us that flexibility. So, yeah, I mean, your film, your story is going to dictate a lot of, what the audio work will become. Um, it's just like, yeah, it's just so interesting to think about because in, in, you know, in indie film land, you're, you're so stressed and like under the gun to just get to set, just, just, just fucking shoot the thing that I think like sound, you know, other than like, let's make sure we can hear people talking, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, like all the other stuff is just like, I'll think about that when I've come down, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, and I think it's also important to note that that's one of the reasons also that I like to talk with the filmmaker beforehand, because you, it's, you should have like a pretty good rapport and seeing like the type of person that they are, because, you know, it could get to the end stage and then just like everything blows up where they're just like, Oh, I don't want, you know, it's like, it's always easy to work with reasonable people and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it's like, you can usually tell right off the bat if someone's going to be difficult to work with. Uh, So that stuff kind of has to be factored in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a sort of baseline, I think we we've, we've discussed this at length, but being a consistent and communicative person goes a long long way in being a a professional yeah so just just you know be on the same page about what our expectations are uh you know hit your deadlines or even if you can't hit your deadlines you know either george or you the filmmaker you know just like 
be like, heads up, like I'm not able to deliver, the, I don't have this deliverable for you by this time, but you can expect it X, Y, and Z. Better yeah. to let you know than to just like have radio never silence. Have, <laughs> yeah, never have to chase anybody. This is this is all very general stuff as being a working professional, but you don't want to be chasing people. Yeah, because it happens, and it happens a when lot. Yeah, when you're there, it's no fun. No, not not at all. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, you need it to want to finish the project and just to get more gigs in the future. You know, it's if you're somebody that does good work and easy to work with, then you're going to get more jobs down the line. That's just the way it goes. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that, that's that's. Uh, I think that could be a, an interesting like episode of podcast of a, of this podcast, just being like the, the, the business of referrals, which is yeah, what this entire is needed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is an industry of referrals uh, for everyone's reference. I uh, got in touch with and started working with George via Brian, who, who is in the first episode of the po- podcast, Brian DiLorenzo. Um, so he wrote and directed myth, uh, a feature film, I had the the great privilege and honor of being in and wait what was your relationship to Brian how do you know Brian Brian we met the first time was myth yeah but how did he know to come to you for myth I think it was I think it was online I think it was like through mandy.com he really just picked you out of the air Brian I apologize if I'd if I forget now, but <laughs> I, yeah, I'm pretty sure he had a listing and either he reached out to me or I reached out to him to work on the film. And then, yeah, after that, like I've worked with so many people in the Brian tree, you know, <laughs> it's the like, Brian it's like, tree has a lot of good people. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's been the Brian tree. It's it's I've worked up with, uh, yeah, Alex too. And I worked on a couple of her films. Alex uh, Beachco. Yeah. Alex Beachco yeah. is great to work with. And yeah, so it's, and I'm sure there's, there's more, maybe I'm forgetting one or two, but. Yeah. So, okay. So that's interesting. I thought you kind of like went to college with him or knew him somehow through like the, the biz and peripheral ways, but that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, no. Cause yeah, it, honestly, people come into your professional life in all different ways. And I'm pretty sure me and Brian's was just from like a posting and just like a response. And then, yeah, we just, we bonded over, I guess, Animal Collective. <laughs> we were talking about. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then just, yeah, I just became friends through there and and good work buddies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after I finished You Look Great, which was my, my first short film, uh, I finished that after Myth was uh, in the can and had gone through post and and, and George had worked on it. Uh, and I had asked Brian, I, I was just like, uh, what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> what do I do about audio? Do you, do you have, <laughs> tell me? And he referred me to you and yeah, I've, uh, worked with you ever since. And, and yeah, it's just the business is, is a, is a business or referrals. Yeah. And then yeah, I and with, then, with, with Rob Mel through you. Yeah. 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 yeah and then I brought you work. Grows. It grows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very funny. It's the universe is funny. <laughs> um, this is a this is a little bit of, of a, a detour to, toward this, but I did want to make sure I asked you um, about scoring uh, and, and and music composition. So you have you, your first background is in music, right? Mm-hmm. And so you also include you or you you have that option for when someone hires you to do sound and, and mix. Like they can discuss like uh, adding music to the film yep So, like what's that process like uh yeah again starts with the conversation as everything else and you know really kind of getting into the details of what emotion they're going for uh what kind of instrumentation they would like you know like what kind of genre they're looking for uh you know some people want you know full band type stuff which i can do you know back to my jingle days is uh you know like do you want drums bass guitar and everything on there and vocals too or do you want you know some like smooth going strings and violins and cellos or you know whatever it is it might be but um you know i'm happy that i can offer you know the whole span of the music catalog (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's it's really one stop shopping. Yeah. with, with okay, George cause, Audio. Because that George is Audio. that is like the jingle gigs because you don't know if you're gonna get like a jazz track in or a country track and this and that. So like that kind of thing really molds you to be as versatile as possible. Yeah, I mean that's actually really cool because then it, it for if I guess it forces you uh, outside of your sort of comfort zone and then like that becomes like yeah how do you all right maybe you're like. Mr. Shoegaze, but now you got to turn on, you know, Mr. Lounge Jazz. Oh my God. So many times I've been given genres that I've never done before. And it's so much fun just to figure it out and be like, oh, wow, I didn't even think I could do that. And then, you know, just yeah, patting yourself on the back or just being miserably frustrated. <laughs> it always actually, it was, it's always the same way. It's always like miserable frustration for most of it. And then towards the end, it's like muster the confidence and then feel really good that you were able to get there. And just yeah. like, somewhere along the way, you're like, I can do this. And then you do it and you're like, oh, it's great. And then they're happy. And you're just like, oh my God, that's great. <laughs> what was I even worried about? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I, I guess the, this next question, it's a, it's a little bit, I, I guess you could comment on it, but I, I find that it's hard for me to know if and when to use music in my work. And it, it could be a function of the films that I am interested in making or that I have made, but I like none of my films I've made, I've made two short films and I have a, a third short in the works, which will be coming to George uh, hopefully in the next couple of months, maybe the Can't next month or, month or two. Um, but I don't have any sort of traditional scoring. I have, you know, there's maybe some sound design that you've done and, and you know, obvious fully work. And I, I think there have been like, uh, soundtracking which is different because then i'm just like literally just adding a song that's kind of pre-made mm -hmm. um but I, I guess i don't like what's the process of determining uh whether or not to have scoring and and what that scoring would look like and i mean this is uh i mean maybe it's more of a, a question toward the director but I, I i would have to think that it includes you know you as well yeah especially you know if they're only using me for the score, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, you, <laughs> we should definitely score this baby. Let's go, let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. But if like, if I'm involved in, in the mixing process too, and I get to get used to the film and seeing what it's about, then yeah, you can have a more honest look into it. Not that I would lie and be like, oh, you need a score for this. That way you should hire me, you know, cause sometimes it can be achieved via sound design or sometimes, you know, silence is powerful. It's hard to put it in uh, like its own box. You know, it's like, it, it all comes out from the conversation. You know, obviously it's never my call to force anything, but I can always guide and, and offer a direction. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, that decision is always on the filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm, I guess I'm asking more sort of creatively or conceptually when to use scoring. Cause I, I've, I guess my hesitation at times uh, is like, I don't want to, make a scene melodramatic um i make a i make a lot of like the stuff that i'm most interested in is very sort of like it's already dramatic relationships uh you know romantic relationships family relationships um mm -hmm. stuff like that so there's already a sense of like realism and drama and so i guess my concern personally is just like not wanting it to 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 veer into melodrama and um, I mean, it could be a, a, a question of taste and, and, and other stuff, but I mean, like, do you have any idea of like how to know we're like, oh, this scene should have, you know, just like a small, you know, uh, synth or not, or like violin riff that just permeates or we should have a crescendo or like, how do you know that maybe, I guess the film will just dictate that, but yeah, the film will dictate it. But if the filmmaker is on the fence about what they want, um, then I would just take a, a crack at it. You know, I would just do what feels right. I would do a couple passes, sleep on it, wake up in the morning, be like, oh, I just feel right. You know, if I like it, I'll send it over and be like, Hey, what do you think? And if not, I'll get it to where I feel like I think it's good. And at least a start, you know, sometimes you don't want to go fully into it. Sometimes you want to start with like one violin or one cello just to get that mood going. And then it's like, oh, this is going in the right direction. Okay, now I can build off of it. Because the last thing you want to do is like 
build up this gigantic score and be like, oh, everything needs to work perfectly and make it all and mix it all and sound great. And it's like, ah, I don't know if that's a, you know, it's just, just right. Yeah, so, just, so what happens if, uh, what happens if a filmmaker is on the fence about knowing, like, I mean, will, will you, will you write something small and like a sample or how yeah. does that work? Yeah. I'll give, I'll give like a real small, like again, like a, a couple lines on the cello. That's okay. That's, that's a very cinematic instrument, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Very interesting. Good, good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess. Or it's, piano. Uh, piano too. Yeah, piano it's is really easy. Yeah. They lend. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it, it, it comes down to, to taste. It comes down to what the film wants it to be or is asking to be. And then I guess also the other part of that, you know, his budget scoring, will raise your budget well beyond just like i need to hear people more <laughs> for sure yeah. um so i guess in uh for all of us here in indie film land I, I my gut feeling is that scoring might come at the the uh the, the latter end of the spectrum of like needs you know yeah yeah definitely know what's in your budget and you know sometimes you can get away with things without having to hire somebody that's gonna cost a lot you know, it's like everybody's got a friend that plays music, <laughs> you know, sure, so, sure. So if, you're, if you're looking for like a, a silly little song or something to like, end, you know, like sometimes that's, that's a better option to go because, you know, a lot of times people will just be excited to be in a movie, you know, it's yeah. like, oh man, you're going to give me like something to like write a music, some, whatever music for it, I can be part of it. And then they'll, they'll give their all depending on how good they are or how close you are with them. Um, you know, that might be a good option as opposed to like me at this point, I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, I'll, I can't wait to get my music into a, into a film. I'll do that <laughs> well, totally free. Right. You know, Cause whatever. you do that. You do that for your, I mean, you have a, yeah, a, a, exactly. a musicianship career, you know? but at the start, you know, oh, sure. when I was just starting off and mixing for peanuts, you know, I easily could have just done some music just to get started and, and be like, oh my God, this is such a cool thing to do. And who knows, maybe I'll be good at it. You know, it's like sometimes that's a good route to go with first. And then maybe if that doesn't work out, then you'd be like, all right, now I need to pay somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, uh, in addition to all that, I guess rights and permissions are are another thing. I mean, that's more of a, a, a producer thing, like like getting the permission to use like like legitimate, big, recognized songs in your films. Oh, and the licensing, yeah, that's tough. Licensing, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just like, especially, you know, who knows how big of a song you're trying to get and, and all that stuff. And uh, I would say uh, prob don't try to just do it under the radar. I don't think I would recommend that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's yeah, plenty of, know. there's, there's plenty of things I would recommend sort of like, you know, doing uh, sort of, un, you know, under the radar, but maybe this is not one of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in my, in my next film, I'm, uh, in the quest of getting permissions for a couple of really, really big emo songs. And I um, uh, got my fingers crossed for it. And so I would encourage people, if, you, if you're going to, or if you really, really need a song, like a, a proper song, um, reach out to people, find the contact info, whether it's management or, you know, you know, if you're lucky enough, you find, you have the artist actually direct contact info but uh go through the proper channels uh i think music is an easy one where they can get you so you know <laughs> yeah it is i think you're going about that one the right way too so. i i surely hope so <laughs> um so then i guess is there any sort of like last minute pieces of advice you, you'd give to uh to indie filmmakers you know with regards to audio whether it's like on set or with post with you like you have any sort of like quick and easy stuff you'd recommend uh yeah i mean aside from the technical stuff like make sure that somebody's always monitoring your audio if if not you should monitor your audio and uh you know have a good game plan for your budget for your microphones for you know for timing uh make sure that there's always room for second takes or make sure that your actors know that you know, hopefully they'll be available later on to do ADR and stuff like that. You know, so you, you never know when something was scratching during the take and you need to redo it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Very quickly. ADR is, uh, it does stand for audio digital recording, right? No, it's uh automated oh. dialogue replacement. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I have no idea. Look, yeah. we're all learning together. What is it? <laughs> or looping. Time? Yeah. Automated dialogue replacement, or some what? people refer to it as looping. So, yeah, that's when, like, you know, maybe uh, an actor stood up and it, like, their clothing really rustled an important line and it's unusable. Then they'll have the actor. Um, either go into a studio or or where or like even just on their phone, depending on you know like the level of your budget and all this stuff, and and send a different thing and and hopefully it can be mixed well enough that you don't even notice. And sometimes that's very tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then above all, you know, have fun with it. Have fun. With you it, know, just sure. like tensions can be felt. You know, everybody around you will feel frustrated if you're frustrated. Just always try and take a deep breath and remember that. You started doing this because you love to do it. Things will work out one way or another. You don't want to look back on the process and be like, oh my God, everybody was so miserable during that because something wasn't working. And like, there's always pivot points. You can always turn things around somehow. So just keep yeah, that in mind. Yeah, I mean, That's more of a general thing than an audio recommendation, but sometimes people need I to- I mean, hear. yeah. I mean, that that goes a long way. Having, having been on- uh, or having my own productions where like days have gone catastrophe, catastrophically, uh, have gone to, to catastrophe, <laughs> hard to speak guys, but they've gone really wrong. Um, it's very easy to sort of get super stressed and super worked up. Um, but I, I it's, it's important to, to know why you're there. It's important to have a good time and it's important to have a team and a big enough team helping you do the thing, realize that, this whole filmmaking process requires a lot of time, a lot of people, a lot of expertise. So, you know, don't think you can do it all because you cannot. <laughs> yeah. Takes a village. <laughs> Takes 10 villages. <laughs> but uh, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of The Indie Idiot. Uh, thanks again to Mr. George Miata for joining us. All right. Yeah. It was a pleasure to be here, man. Thank you for I having hope, me on. Yeah. I hope you guys all learned something about sounds. Take it easy.